RadioInfluence.com. thing that I never thought in a million years would happen. happen. The champion, the challenger, here we go! This is the MMA Report with Jason Floyd on Radio Influence. Welcome in to a new episode of the MMA Report podcast. It is Sunday, August the 7th, 2022, and I've got another jam-packed episode of the podcast with five interviews as you're going to hear from two men that's going to be a part of friday's bellator 284 neiman gracie and josh hill of course neiman gracie in the main event of that fight card josh hill will be the feature bout on the preliminary card then you're going to hear from orion koski who's coming off that win there at ufc 277 then you'll hear the conversation i had with bram moreno's bjj coach hector vasquez who has a school there in las vegas I had a great conversation with him and then the final interview you're going to hear is with one of the men that's going to be the main event of Saturday's Shamrock FC Summer Bass Show, Garrett Wells. So all those conversations come up here in a little bit. Of course, uh, appreciate you taking time out of your day to download and listen to this episode of the podcast. Of course, a great way to show your support for the podcast, rating, review on the podcasting platform you're listening to that truly does help me out a ton. And hey, if you could share the podcast on social media, I would appreciate it that as well now before we get into the interviews i want to talk about an interaction i had on friday night on twitter and you know i think just like all of us you know we, we you know we're all from our phones all the time and i'm just kind of scrolling through my my twitter timeline and i see this tweet uh from eric mcgracken who runs combat sports law great website eric does a tremendous job covering the regulatory side of the sport which i mean look it's a side of the sport that does not get a lot of clicks but it is a very important side of this sport and eric has been very um he's i don't know if he's spearheading it but he's definitely uh pushing it on social media about the fighters uh, having a say and i'm gonna get into that in a second with the uh, association boxing Commission and combative sports and so eric had this tweet i ended up responding to where he said he wrote, boom, check this out. Here is ABC president Michael Mazzulli saying our fighter committee initiative is going to happen. So I end up. And so there were some other tweets that Eric had where he said, folks, it's big news. This will be the first time ever in the history of the Association of Boxing Commissions that fighters will have an official seat at the table. A fighters committee. So fighters have been an organized voice in the sport. Big progress goes on to say big thank you to over 250 pro boxers kickbox mma fighters who signed a petition to the abc thank you for stepping me up and adding your name to the list so i responded to him with this since Missouri has been president of the abc in this term and previous term he has always said fires are welcome before this year it rarely happened that fires would show up to the annual meeting Eric responds to me saying, this is more than fighters being welcomed. This is a dedicated ABC fighters committee. My response to him, which he never responded to, where I go, you're missing the point. Fires have always been welcome under Missouri leadership. Not sure why there was a perception that they were not. And that to me is when 
look, you want to start an initiative to get fighters more involved in the regulatory side of the sport, it's great. But the reality is fighters have always been had a voice. Fighters are always welcome to have these conversations. I'm not sure why someone or multiple people felt fighters did not have a voice. Because they have. I can tell you this. I've had countless conversations with Mike Mazzulli over the years where he has literally said this, Jay, fighters are welcome. I want fighters to show up. I want fighters to be in that room. All they got to do is show up. All they got to do is show up. So I don't understand why there was this perception that fighters were not welcomed. It also makes me wonder... What's the end game for some of the people in this? Is there people who are not fighters who want to see uh, in terms of the Association of Boxing Mission and Combative Sports and are just not coming out and saying it? I don't know. I don't know. But I could just tell you this. Fighters have always been welcomed. And if you're a UFC fighter, like if you truly want to see change happen in this sport, no matter what that change is, like there are things that you can do you know, that don't involve being a part of a fighters committee. Like if I'm in the UFC and I have concerns about the regulatory side of the sport, there are four calls for me to make to where I believe change can happen or you can start kind of the process of change happening. Call number one would be to Mark Ratner. Mark Ratner runs a regulatory affairs for the UFC. He's an OG in this sport when it comes to the regulatory side. If you truly want to see things change, that would be my first call if I'm a UFC fighter. And call number two would be to Mike Mazzulli. He's the president of the ABC. Call number three would be Andy Foster, one of the top you know regulators. Maybe you know there's probably a lot of people who do consider him the top regulator in this sport. And the fourth call would be Jeff to Jeff Mullins, the executive director of Nevada Commission. If you truly want to see changes happen, Missouri has made it clear, yeah, we'll start a fires committee. But the reality is, fires have always been welcomed. And I don't know, as I've said, I do not know why there's a perception being put out there that the fires didn't have a voice. They've always had a voice. I like what Eric does, but I don't know why he has this perception that fires never have a voice, because they do. They've always had a voice. And it thing I'll say about it is I just wonder what is the, is there another motive in all this? That's all. I mean, it's just one of these things that you see on, on social media that you just go, and, and I talk about this all the time. There's perception versus reality. The reality is fighters have always had a voice. It's just a matter of whether or not they want to take the additional steps to make sure their voice is heard. There is ways to do it. And also there's ways to do it where it's not in a public forum, where you can have a private conversation to truly make changes happen. So I just saw that on social media, and I was just like, what is going on here? Like, what is going on here? It's just, oh, man. It's one of those things you see, and I mean, literally, it's that SMH, SMH moment that I had. Like, I'm just like, oh, man, I don't know why your perception is this, because it's just not reality. And we'll see, you know, I mean, and by the way, you know, the MA Rules and Rights Committee, has a fighter on it, Chris Lytle. 
So we'll see what happens there um, and, and how it goes forward. That is something that I'm going to follow up with Mike Mazzulli. Probably I'll probably wait an additional two, three months, and then I'll hit up Mike and say, hey, Mike, anything uh, kind of going on this? And then we'll see where it goes uh, from there. Uh, something else I want to mention before I get into the interviews is the story I saw this morning over on MMAJunkie.com where the headline was, Juliana Pena wants round eight with Amanda Nunez. She doesn't touch me next time. Now, Juliana Pena was in Las Vegas last night for, uh, you know, for part of the ultimate fire finale. Of course, her being one of the coaches on this season. And she was on the post fight show where uh, this is what she said about wanting the rubber match uh, with Amanda Nunez. Quote, when someone has entirely revamped and completely switched their entire stance and their entire fighting style because of me, I take that as a compliment, you know? And I think that if you give me time to get ready for both stances of Amanda, she doesn't touch me next time. I'm just really hoping that she heals up and that she's able, able to get back in there before the end of the year because I absolutely be ready for that trilogy fight. I'm ready to go round eight right now. Let's freaking go. I'm here. Where are you, Amanda? Amanda, seriously, where are you? You left your girl hanging out there. I showed up for Team Pena. She didn't show up for Team Nunez. I'm here. I'm ready to go. Round eight. And I was thinking about this, and uh, I remember I was, you know, I saw this on on Facebook, and I was kind of reading through the comments. And one comment that it just kind of made me go, hmm, that's interesting. How, you know, would the UFC go to an immediate trilogy after what happened in the second fight? And what I mean by that is, would they go to the immediate trilogy when you had a fighter win all five rounds definitively? Like there, there's no question she won all five rounds. And I mean, you know, outside of a couple of submission attempts, it was a, it was a dominating performance by Amanda Nunez. If you told me I had to make a bet, yes or no, that Amanda Nunez next fight will be against Juliana Pena. I would say no. I think the UFC is going to look to go in a different direction. I think they're probably going to see if they can make that trilogy matchup with Valentina Shevchenko, and then, or maybe they try to get a fresh challenger, someone like a Caitlin Vieira. I understand what Ju- Juliana Pena is doing right there. I I get it. She is she is trying to do what she can to get that trilogy matchup, and and, and she should be doing this. I mean, no question, she should be doing this. But I just I don't think the UFC is going to go that route. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe ultimately this fight happens December. Maybe it happens in, in, in early 2023, but I just kind of feel like uh, that's not the direction that the UFC is going to go there. But obviously that quote also tells you that Julian Pena uh, is amazing. The fact of, you know, hey, look, we, you know, Amanda shocked us. She shocked us. We, we did not prepare for what Amanda Nunez did in that fight. I mean, look, and, you know, every time you talk to fighters and you talk to coaches, one thing that they'll talk about is you got to be ready for everything. This is mixed martial arts. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens there uh, in terms of that. And it's like I said on, on last Wednesday's podcast, like I thought Juliana Pena just and her team had a false sense of security heading into that matchup. And, um, you know, they got dominated there, but uh, we'll see what happens there. But uh, let's get into the interviews here on this episode of the podcast. Up first, you're going to hear my conversation with Neiman Gracie, who will be headlining Fr- Friday's Bellator 284 against Gochi Yamauchi. 
Joining me now here on the MMA Report is man. It's going to be headlining Bellator 284 here. It's Neiman Gracie. Neiman, as always, man, I appreciate the time. You know, I was thinking about this matchup, and obviously the two of you, you've, you've both got the credentials of jiu-jitsu artists, and it was making me thinking about who would be on your Mount Rushmore of jiu-jitsu practitioners? Damn, man, that's a tough question. Uh, but I'll have to put Master Carlos Gracie, Master Elio Gracie, and I think Master Carlson Gracie, and Hickson Gracie. Okay, so that leads me to say is obviously you've got to train with. Uh, we all know your, you know who your family is, the heritage <laughs> that is there. It made me kind of think about like, is there like a bucket list? of jujitsu practitioners that you would either just love to roll with, you know, love to take a, a, a seminar with just to kind of, you know, get their knowledge on the game. Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, I be, I've been able to do that a lot already with all my family members, but outside of my family, I would love to maybe learn from Marcelo Garcia, maybe learn more from Damian Maya. I, I learned a few things with him, but maybe learn more. And so many other guys, like the Mendes brothers, you know, there's so many good people, man. And uh, I love to learn from all of them, you know. You know, there, there was a, a tweet that Bellator had where, you know, it, it kind of made me think of the the perception versus reality. And the, the tweet was basically along the lines of, hey, Neiman, you know, he is a great jujitsu artist, but he got he got them hands like it, it does. Does it? Does that all bother you that people maybe don't give you the respect with what you can do on the feet along with what you can do on the ground? No, man. And it doesn't bother me like because I, I passed the pace of thinking about what people think about me. It doesn't make any difference what they think. You know, uh, I fight for myself and I fight for for to 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 grow as a person so it doesn't bother me what people think or what they don't think anymore you know how, how do you feel like you've grown as a martial artist uh since february oh man i grown so much I, I came from a five round war so when you are in the cage for that long you learn so much about yourself and uh i learned so much more about myself and it was a great life experience you know how much do you go back and watch your previous fights? I do that a lot, actually, especially right after I fight. I like to watch. Usually right after I fight, it, it, I watch for the whole month. I, I watch the fight many, many times. And uh, I love watching uh, myself fighting. Like when you go back and you watch your fight, it, it, you know, it, is it how much of it is about self-analysis of yourself of thinking of, of going okay you know in, in this fight come up here where this is what Gochi's looking at is that as much about of trying to look at and breaking yourself down more than maybe what you did right in the fight definitely it's i think it's a hundred percent of that so when i'm watching myself i'm usually breaking down what i should have done and how i should have done then looking at the good things only you know usually we only look at the bad things <laughs> In terms of this matchup against Gochi, obviously he's got the the BJJ background as well. How do you rate his MMA jiu-jitsu game? Man, it's very good. I think he's one of the best. Uh, I think me and him in Bellator, we are the the main submission guys in Bellator right now. You know, so it's gonna be a great fight, man. He's a great fighter, and uh, it's not gonna be an easy fight, but uh, I can definitely pull this off. 
do you think there's a perception that people have that this is an easy fight for you because of the fact of, you know, Gochi, you know, recently moving up to 70 at one time, he was a 45 pound fighter. I don't know, man. Like I said, I don't even know what people are thinking. You know, I haven't looked at what people are saying, but if they think it's easy fight, they should fight him then. (laughs) (laughs) But but uh, he's definitely not an easy fight for anyone, you know. Just look at his record and uh, you're going to see. So so you're not going around looking at those Instagram comments? Not at all, actually, man. I stopped doing that a while ago, so... And I think that's good because most of those guys are 11, 10-year-old kids talking trash, you know? Was that something that people around you maybe said, hey, Neiman, uh, we think we need to get you out of the comments? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> My wife doesn't like me to, to look too much. And I think uh, I, I kind of gave her uh, a years to what she was saying, you know? But, uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's better because... If you think about it, man, those those things are, are, are dumb because the, the, these people, they don't know you. They don't know your history. They don't know how you train, and they want to talk bad or good stuff. You know, it's it's nonsense. What's your expectations uh, for this matchup against Gochi? Expect a, a tough fight. You know, if you look at his record, he's a very tough fighter. And uh, I hope this fight goes to the floor and we're able to give a... The, a show for everyone that watches this fight on the floor, you know? Do you think Gochi's going to take it there? I don't know. Mm, I don't think he he, he he will want to go to the floor, but I, I'm not sure, man. I don't know. Usually when he fights, he let people take him to the floor, you know? So we will see. I mean, how, how do you rate his jiu-jitsu off his back? Really good, man. His jiu-jitsu is really good. He's very dangerous. And if I don't want child, I'm, I can't get caught. So I need to be very careful. Obviously, you're, you're one of the top 170ers in, in Bellator. The, the top of the division, kind of a, a little cloudy right now. We got, you know, the interim title, you know, the, the unification bout coming up here. Paige is fighting in, in, in bare knuckle come up here in, in a couple of weeks. Uh, you know, Jason's just coming off that win against Douglas. Like, wh- where do you see a victory leading you to next? I don't know to tell the truth because the 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 division is kind of crazy right now. But I would like to get a rematch with Jason Jackson. You know, I think I won the last fight. I don't think the, the judges saw the right fight. And uh, I wanted to get the fight again. I want to fight Logan Starley again. And I want to fight the best guys at 170. I've been asking to fight Michael Page for such a long time. And, man, I want to fight the best. So I hope I get another top fighter after this one you mentioned about judging if you could sit there and have a five ten minute conversation with the judge you know and just kind of pick their brain is there something particular you'd ask them about yes i would like to know better about their history on on fighting you know because i think most of these guys has no no history you know and they don't 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 really know about fighting like we do so i wanted to know them better for sure is it one of those things that you're like, hey, come to my gym, man. Let, let's let's get a little rolling. Let, let me see what you can do on the ground. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think this, some of these guys have no idea what's going on on the ground, you know. So it would be good to have fighters that, that stop fighting to be judges, you know. And I don't think we have that many guys. There are judges that used to be MMA fighters, you know. Is that something you may do when uh, you decide that your, your fighting career is over? I don't know, man. 
I don't know if I want to be into that game, you know, like uh-huh. judging people when they're fighting is not, not easy and not an easy job also. But definitely we need a few guys to do that for sure. Yeah, that's, I don't I don't envy those guys at all. That is not a job yeah. that I want. But uh, It's not an easy job, you know. Yeah. Neiman, uh, appreciate time and uh, look forward to seeing the fight next week, man. Thank you. Thank you so much, brother. And that was my conversation with Neiman Gracie. Great to uh, get to uh, connect with him once again as he's got this matchup here against Gochi Yamauchi. And uh, interesting to hear him talk about the fact that he's hoping this matchup is going to hit the mat. Whether it does or not, that, you know, that'd be kind of interesting to see how does Gochi Yamauchi, how does he attempt to attack Neiman Gracie? And I'll tell you, when this fight was made, I was a little baffled by it. And I think it's, I mean, obviously Gochi now at 170 pounds, used to be a 45er. But then, of course, it just basically got to a point he just couldn't make that weight anymore. And, and now here at 170 pounds, huge opportunity for Gochi Yamauchi. And when you look at this Bellator welterweight division, like, you know, obviously a lot of things have to unfold over the next couple of months with this division. Of course, we'll have the interim, or excuse me, we'll have the title unification matchup with Yaroslav Amosov and Logan Sorley. Scott Coker noted two weeks ago that Bellator recently applied for a visa for Amosov and his family to come to the United States. So you got to imagine, maybe, maybe we see that title unification matchup sometimes before the end of the calendar year. Uh, Coker noted that they are planning to do seven more shows before uh, we turn over to 2023. But, you know, when you look at this, this welterweight division, is, you know, of course, you got Michael Page, who has got the bare knuckle matchup against Mike Perry. And then you got Jason Jackson, who's sitting out there, who, I mean, the way he talked about it after his uh, his win there, you know, basically know that he's going to sit on the sidelines and he's going to wait for the title matchup. You heard Neiman said he would love that matchup there uh, against a, a rematch against Jason Jackson. And then you got Andre Koreshkov who's kind of sitting there, who I think sometimes I feel like he's kind of the forgotten guy in this division. He's just one of those guys that I just feel like we just kind of forget about uh, who he is in this division. So uh, we'll see what happens there. But uh, let's move on to the next interview. It's also with the Fires. We a part of Friday's Bellator 284, and that is going to be Josh Hill. Of course, he has gone through an opponent change in this one, was supposed to be a part of the Bantamweight Grand Prix. However, uh, he got COVID and had to pull out of that. So part of this interview is him talking about uh, you know the recovery from COVID. Said it took him about four weeks, and he talked about the switch of opponent here at Bellator 284. Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a man that's going to be back inside the Bellator case here, Bellator 284, as we are talking. That is in seven days. Josh, man, uh, appreciate the time. I, I was going down some recent interviews you did, and one thing that, that stuck out to me that you did back in, uh, in March and May, you talked about uh, starting a mental performance coaching business. So yeah. what, what got you interested in this? Um. It was something I always struggled with um, early in my career, and um, I didn't really know how to to resolve it. I didn't know nobody really talked to me about it, and uh, so I just started reading books, uh, which helped for sure. And then I just kind of became more fascinated with the subject and um, enrolled myself back in, a, in an online program in school, completed that, and just uh, continued to go on with it. And now, you know, I, I've been I've been uh, doing it for since November last year. So I've been at it for, for quite some time now and, uh, helped numerous athletes and, uh, it's, it's been good, man. I'm enjoying it. What's the biggest question you get from athletes? Um, I would say 
I, I don't know the biggest question, but the biggest thing that I'm always, it's reoccurring. It's usually fear of failure. You know, the people are just kind of scared to, 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 you know, not succeed, to fail, especially in the public eye. And I think that hinders more people than anything. You know, I've heard fighters in the past, they talk about like, they'll say, you know, I really don't have fears when I, when I enter there. I, I think the, probably the biggest thing I've ever heard is the fear is the body isn't doing what you want it to do. Like, yeah. is that something similar for you throughout your career of, of maybe it's, it's not necessarily the fear of losing. It's more the fear of your body, not, you know, performing the way you want it to. Um, for, for me personally, no, I find it, you know, I train my body for forever. I'm constantly train my body. So once I get in the cage, I know I can just, my, I can rely on my training and I'm just going to react to certain situations because that's how what I was trained to do. It's more so when I was dealing with it, the fear of, of losing in front of people, losing opportunities or losing maybe respect to people that I, I value, losing money, losing, you know, things like that. That's, that was my biggest hurdle for sure. I, I know you, you spoke about another interview of ultimately the reason you had to pull out of the tournament was, was due to COVID. And the thing that I thought was kind of interesting, the way you talked about that is you talked about like, it wasn't a situation where like, Hey, a week, two weeks later, you were good. You're back in the gym. You know, it took you a while to kind of get back to, to train the way you want to train. Was yeah, that the, yeah. was that the hardest part about getting over it was like that, man, like I want to go in and, and I, I want to be with the crew and, and I want to go hundred percent, but you just couldn't. Yeah. It took me about four weeks actually. Yeah. Which it just kind of lingered, man. And, and you know, the first week was brutal, you know, and, but I figured, okay, you know, it's going to suck for a week and get through it. And then I tried to train and, and just like, I had no energy at all. And like, even like people just like, just tapping me, like my body was just like, Oh my God. Like, and, uh, and it just lingered and lasted and, and lasted pretty much like, yeah, up until when I would have been fighting, it was about four weeks out. And, uh, and, and I mean, looking back on it, I, as much as I'm pissed off, you know, I had to pull out and miss chance to be in the Grand Prix chance to be in a court of Hawaii. Um, it, uh, it was definitely the right call. There's no way I would have been able to fight, especially a guy like Barzola, who's, who is, uh, has very good cardio. So, um, yeah, it sucks, but you know, it is, it is what it is. I'm moving on. Was that the hardest decision of your career? up there for sure you know I definitely i i, I was freaking racked my brain for days and days i'd talk to my manager talk to my coaches talk to my wife just trying to think like what should i do here and uh yeah it was tough man but you, you got this matchup and of course you, you've gone through an opponent change you of course initially supposed to take on matthias matos now you're taking on uh, marcos bueno in, in terms of stylistically has this changed up anything in your training not really, to be honest. I think stylistically they're pretty similar. Um, both Brazilian guys that have good jujitsu that like to strike, um, and, you know. So it wasn't like a huge, you know. I was fighting some like southpaw to an orthodox big tall wrestler or short wrestler to a tall striker. You know, it wasn't like a big change in that sense. So um, no, you know, they're both very good, both tough guys. Um, so either fight's very, very tough, um, but, um, yeah, nothing really, nothing changes. Do you feel like the, you know, because there is a number associated to your name that, uh, your opponent looks at you kind of like, you know, Hey, you're, you're the target. Like there's, you know, there's a little bit more of a bullseye on you. For sure. I I mean, I think the rankings, I I don't know if they're they're all over the place, man, with that, with those rankings, man. So, so I'm a voter. There are times when I see it come out. I log back into the system and I go, what? Like, yeah, right? I, 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 there's, there's two prime examples where I just was, I was baffled, just baffled. One was when Violet Raider was ranked 
And because I'm sitting there going, why? I go, she's a she's a prospect. And like when you've been involved in this game so long, you know the type of matchups they're giving her. Yeah. And then while I think Cody Law is a super talented fighter, I was like, he's not he's not there yet. So th- there's those times I sit there, I just look at it and I go, and then there's sometimes you there's people that I just like, you know, I'll have ranked much higher. And then I'm like, did people just not think he was in the pool? Yeah, right. I know it's it's crazy. I, I don't. I mean, whatever they they're there, but I don't really care. I even you know even speaking to the matchmakers, they're like, because I asked for somebody. I asked for somebody in the top, you know, above me, ranked above me. Um, I, I asked if like I, um, I know a lot of the guys are tied up in the tournament still. So I I asked for Archuleta. I asked for Horiguchi um, because they just they just lost, but they they said they were already matched up or had fights and they, they couldn't happen. So you know the only per they said that all we have is Matos right now. Um, um, and you know, I just didn't want to sit on the sidelines and wait till October and, you know, be almost a year out. You know, if I was maybe 25 years old, I'd, you know, sit around and wait a bit, but I'm 35 now. So I gotta, I gotta get them going, man. And, and get these in while I can. I mean, is it in a way, is it frustrating? A little bit, you know, a, a little bit. I think like, um, I don't know. People always ask me too. They're like, how come like, you know, do you think that you don't get like the, uh, as much press or respect that you deserve. You've been around the sport a long time. You've got 25 fights, you know, only losses to three guys that are, you know, amongst the top. Uh, and yeah. And, and I always kind of feel like that way. You know, I always feel like I'm a bit of an underdog um, as somebody that, you know, I think a lot of guys know, you know, I'm a tough matchup and I don't, I'm not like a, a good example would be Gallagher, James Gallagher. You know, I think, you know, he gets a lot of hype because he's Irish, he's McGregor's teammate and they really push him. Right. Whereas mm-hmm. I, I do not get that same push. Um, but I think I'm a tougher matchup. That's why people are jumping all over to fight him, myself included. Um, so I think that's kind of where we, where we lie there. I, I feel like if you talk to, to Kogan or Coker, I feel like if you said who is the fighter that gets requested the most at 135, I'd be shocked if that's not James Gallagher. I'd be shocked. Who is it? Oh, it is James Gallagher. I, I, it's it's got to be because oh, I think yeah. I think. I mean, look, I'm not trying to downplay him at all. I just think that everyone looks at him stylistically and they say, "I love this matchup." Yeah. Hundred percent, and I, I I feel the same way. I don't feel even like him being ranked above me. I'm like, what, you know? Um, I, well, I will tell you, you you are ranked well above him in my rankings. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Thanks, man. Um, but yeah, just like looking at our bodies of work and who we fought, you know what I mean? I, I just like, and there's no way this guy is ahead of me or should be ahead of me. Um, but I know he's had more Bellator fights than me. They push him more, so we, I get it. Like, again, with the rankings, whatever. I don't, really, I don't care. It, it is what it is, and I get paid the same. You know what I mean? So it's like. Whatever. I mean, that's why the, the Matos fight was, was and this fight, too. I mean, uh, even Scoggins, my last one, you know, because he was an unranked guy. Um, they're all, I guess, riskier in a sense because there's no not as much reward to beat somebody that's ranked higher than you. But, again, at this this point, everybody's tough. They're all good. I think they should have, like, a top 15 or 20 even. Um, and, uh, yeah, it doesn't matter. What's your expectations for Marcos uh, here next week? Um, I think he'll be uh, aggressive. He'll come out. It's his first Bellator fight. Um, his first one got canceled. Was, um, so he's going to try and make a statement. You know, he's going to try and use my name, my number, and try to try to propel himself. And you know, and and make a big opening here. But um, you know, 
I think I, um, all around better fighter. I think I'm the smarter fighter, the more experienced fighter. Um, I think I'll be the, the faster and the stronger of the two. So, um, yeah, I, I like it. I think it's a good matchup. Um, you know, but, but he's, he's definitely coming, um, to, you know, full bore. I'm expecting that. Speaking of the Bantamweight tournament, is your kind of thoughts as you believe that Stotts is, is going to walk away uh, with that tournament victory? If I had to pick, yeah. Yeah, I'd pick Stotts for sure. Um, I just think out of all the people in there right now, I think he's the probably the most well-rounded, mm-hmm. um, you know what I mean, and, and probably the best athlete there. So, you know, he's fighting Sabatello, and, you know, the only way Sabatello's going to win is he just gets a takedown and, you know, kind of controls you and holds you down. But I think – you know, with Stotts' wrestling and his athleticism, I think he'll he'll be able to stop that and piece him up in the feet because Sabatello's striking is not very good. Do you um, think the mental yeah. warfare will get to him though? Well, you know, you never know. You know, sometimes it, it you know you might like it too much, and then you get lulled into that, and you kind of get off your game and get too aggressive and, and expose yourself, which which we've seen happen many times to people. So it'll be interesting to see if you can kind of keep that you know that proper mindset there. But yeah, if I had to if I had to pick, I, I'd pick Stotts to win it. Yeah, it's a uh, Danny will Danny will say a lot of things. There's no doubt about it. But uh, Josh, man, I appreciate time and uh, look forward to seeing the fight next week, man. Yeah, thank you, man. Anytime. And that was my conversation with Josh Hill. Appreciate him taking some time out of his day to talk to me about his matchup coming up here on Friday at Bellator 284. Interesting stuff there at the beginning of the interview. Talk about being a mental performance uh, coach now. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, recovery from COVID there. And, you know, and always great to have these conversations with Bellator fighters when they uh, learn that I am a Bellator rankings voter. And I always love kind of having those conversations. And I mentioned about... While Josh Hill is number nine in the in the overall Bellator rankings, he's number six in my rankings. Uh, above him is I have Magomedov, Archuleta, Horiguchi, Mix, and then of course Stouts and Pettis. And uh, after him, I've got Sabatello at seven, Higo at eight, Barzola at nine, and James Gallagher at ten. And you know we we talked about James Gallagher in that interview, and like I have to imagine. He has got to be the guy who gets requested the most by fighters in this Bellator bandweight division. Like, if you had that conversation with Mike Hogan and said, who is the guy who gets called out the most at 135 pounds? It's got to be James Gallagher. It has to be. And, yeah, look, you know, James Gallagher, I, I think there's some holes in this game, but I think we're seeing the improvements out of him since he's uh, made that transition over to glory MMA and fitness there under James Krause. Now let's move on to the next interview, and that is going to be with Orion Koski, who got a win there last week. UFC 277 get a decision win against Blood Diamond. Spoke to him about the victory. Also, we talked about uh, you know the missing weight and how he is going to utilize the UFC PI to make sure that does not happen again. Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a man who's coming off a victory this past Saturday, UFC 277. Ryan, congratulations on the victory. Uh, you know, first off, you know, going into this matchup, I think the thought process was, okay, how much would you use your grappling going up against a fighter that is known for his kickboxing? How, how much of that was the thought process? Uh, that, that was a huge thought process. We know going into it, if I kept it just purely striking, he'd definitely have the advantage. I had to mess it up with my striking and my uh, grappling for sure. In, in terms of uh, your the expectations you had for the fight and ultimately how it played out, was, was there some major differences? Yeah, you know, um, it didn't help with that weight cut, but at the end of the day, I'm just happy I was able to get the win. Um, 
the only difference was I wish I could have got the finish, but at the end of the day, I have a lot of respect for Blood Diamond. He did a good job at utilizing his uh, game plan in the second with more volume of strikes to, you know, keep me at bay from the takedowns. And then um, he did a good job against the cage too. So when I knew that he wasn't just going to be like this tall, lengthy fighter that he knew what he was doing when it came to the defense. I figured, hey, we got all three rounds to just wear on him, get him tired, take him down, and uh, do some damage, look for the shots, et cetera, et cetera. I was trying to finish him a lot, though, um, especially with the submission parts. You know, there are times where I was trying to get it. But we were talking to each other, him and I, we were just tired in that uh, third round. And I talked to him a little bit after, but – that weight cut was definitely daunting and draining on my body. So going into like the second round, I, I could feel the difference, like mm-hmm. of typically where I would be versus, and then in the third round, I just told myself dig deep, but that weight cut, a lot of people don't realize that it does take the um, effect on you, especially if it's a bad weight cut. And that's all that happened. It won't happen again. I'll have a better performance in the future, but I am happy with the performance I had because I love it to the victory. Now, when you go back and you watch the fight, do you pay more? Are you going? Are you looking more at that second round as opposed to the first and the third round? I watch all of it um, all together because the MMA fight, yeah, you got to break them up into different rounds. <laughs> but you also need to look at it from uh, from a perspective of I did this in round one, I did this in round three. What's the two differences in work? And I fix these issues in the long run. You know, obviously, a big topic of conversation was about the weight cut. And I know you put on Instagram, you talked about, hey, this is the same method I've used all my life. It didn't work this time. Go look at changing the method. Yeah. And then after the fight, you were talking about how you're going to do some body density testing with the UFC PI. Is that something that you just haven't done in the past of working with the PI? Of you know, Because I know I've talked to other guys who've talked about that. You know, they've done some stuff with the PI, and they've kind of opened their mind up to – to other methods yeah no so i mean i'm down for whatever method is going to help my body the best scientifically because that's all this sport is when it comes to the weight cut aspect it's a scientific approach but a lot of people don't realize this too when you're doing mma like where you strike a certain person how you take down a certain person that's all you know like body anatomy and physics right there so it does come down to a science sometimes so there's, there's a lot of nerding out that you can do if you want to have a, a good advantage on your uh, fighting it's like uh, a lot of people don't realize when you're boxing, if you slip the punches, that, that's not just moving out of the way because so the punch don't hit you. You're moving with the punch, so you're rolling with the power, so you take less power, right? There's a science behind everything you do when it comes to any mixed martial arts sport, and a lot of fighters don't utilize that, so that's something I try to utilize. So when I uh, next time I go to the PI, we're going to do another body density test to see where I was now versus where I was two years ago when I signed on after the uh, Contender Series, and then versus where I was last year mm-hmm. before I fought um, with Phil Rowe. So, I mean, I know I put on a lot more size, too. I got a lot bigger, more bone density, more muscle density. I'm feeling a lot stronger. My endurance didn't feel like a factor, but it looked like a factor just because of the fact that, you know, the weight cut was so bad. I, like I told everyone else, I was overheating, I was puking, like diarrhea. Like, it was bad, dude. Like, they almost pulled me. The doctors wanted to. I know they did, but I'm glad they didn't. And, uh, yeah. Like, last week on the show, I had Jay Perrin, and, and he was talking about, you know, one of the things the PI told him is like, man, you got to slow down, man. You're, you're just 
you're wearing out your body. There's going to come a point where your body starts fighting back. Like, you know, throughout your yeah. athletic journey, is that kind of one of those things of like, cause he mentioned to me, he said, he goes with the PI, they can, they, they offer you all this data. And he goes, I like seeing that data that kind of, you know, gets it in my mind. Is that for you uh, for all these years that you've been athletics? Like you kind of need to see those numbers on a paper for it to kind of uh, really sink in for you. No, not really. I mean, if I have like a bunch of people telling me like, Hey, like you're overtrained, but I don't feel like it. I'm still going to take their advice on it and be like, okay, like show me the, show me the stats of where I'm overtraining and how is this going to affect me, you know, in the long run versus how I feel right now. Like if I did three sessions a day for eight weeks versus if I did two to three sessions, moderate, right? Like say I do two really, really hard sessions versus breaking those sessions up into three moderate sessions. Is that going to affect me overall? Will it uh, improve my performance? Will it decrease my performance? Stuff like that. Um, But every body type is different too, though. A lot of people can't just sit there and say like, oh, well, I can definitely do that. It's like, well, everyone's body genetics are different. So having that kind of help to help us figure out what's going to be best for our body types is definitely going to help improve the sport in the long run. So you see higher level peak performance. You know, and I think the other kind of story with this fight was it had been almost a year to the date. It had been since you stepped in competition. Like, like how do you describe the last 12 months? Miserable. No, um, <laughs> dude, you know what? I was just happy I got the fight. Like, the fight got rebut twice, and, you know, just acts of God, whatever you want to call it. And finally, we got to step in that cage, and we got to hopefully put on a show that the fans liked. And, you know, we were the first fight of the card. Man, man. It was definitely worth it after uh, 12 months to go out there and win. Again, it sucked that I missed weight, but at the end of the day, you know, I was lucky that my opponent took the fight. The doctors let me. My team was like, hey, dude, let's just try to make you feel better as fast as we can. We went out there and we got the W. In terms of kind of uh, a timeline for your next fight, what's kind of your, your thought process? I already told my manager, let's like, let's go, let's find a one. <laughs> um, so he's working on it right now. We're definitely in the works on something. As of right now, though, I am focusing on spending time with the wife because when it's like fight camps, I don't really get to spend too much time with my wife. So what's the point of being married if I'm never going to spend time with her, right? So this week I told her when we were in San Diego, I do have a couple of interviews to do. So this is one of my last ones. I got one or two more to do after this, but I have them like extended throughout the days. That way, like, while she's eating, I can come out here and do this. <laughs> but for today, I will be taking her and uh, the sister-in-laws and stuff like that. We're going to be going from San Diego today, travel about two, two and a half hours. You're going to sit flags, and then afterwards, I'm going to take – because I like roller coasters, too. Okay. Roller coasters are a blast. I hate heights, but I'll put myself through, like, those, like – I'm, I'm the worst when it comes to like the chain swings and stuff like that. Cause everyone's like, just don't say, all right, please don't say, and I'm just like, what if our chains just snapped and we're already like 200 feet in the air. They're just like, damn it, Ryan, why, why? <laughs> so now everyone's scared because I put myself through a situation. Now everyone else has to deal with the situation, but then afterwards I'm going to go uh, support the Oakland S. Uh, hopefully they beat Anaheim. They lost last night to the angels, but hopefully they can go out and win this time. So, like, we're going Six Flags. Like, have you already mapped out what roller coasters you want to go on? Dude, I just want to go on the Thrill Reds. I've never been to the LA one. So, this is my first time going to the LA one. Uh, I've always been to the Vallejo one. So, Anaheim should be fun. Or I think it's Valencia or something like that. It's like a two-hour drive. So, 
I, see, I would say this, like I, I live in Florida, so we're, we're about an hour and a half from, from the, the parks Orlando. Yeah. The only thing I hate is the drive. Cause like, man, the, the, the traffic on the interstate can just suck. It, you know, it, it was, oh, it was about two months ago. Was, t- me and my wife were coming back and it took us three hours to get back. And like, I'm not a long driver. Like if, if we got to go somewhere far, put me on yeah. a plane. Oh man. <laughs> okay. So I grew up in humble. So we had to drive if we wanted to get anywhere like far like the cities and stuff like that, we had to drive. So the closest city to us is Reading. And that right there is like a two and a half to a three and a half hour, depending on what part of Humboldt County you're driving from. Okay. But if driving to San Francisco, that's like a five to seven hour drive, depending on where you're driving from and what time you're driving from. So if anyone ever wants to talk to me about like, man, taking the one one north of uh, San Fran's nice, huh? I'm just like, yeah, sure. It is. <laughs> Because I've done it my whole life. Yeah. Like I've seen wrestling trips. We used to take the 101 to the 20 or the 299 to the 5. Like It's like, yeah, they're, it's pretty nice doing that route. But my wife even said it too because I made it to where like she would have to go back to humble with me. She's all, wow, doing this like once every couple of weeks is not as fun as I thought it would be. I was like, no, no, it's not. So, I mean, was, you know, you got the long trip in the car. Like, are you, are you, is there a certain type of music that's going to come on, on the uh – on the speakers? I'm going to make the girls listen to 80s rock with me. They have no choice. I'll throw on a couple of their little, like, uh, whatever songs they want to listen to. They all like Pitbull and Taylor Swift and stuff, so I'll put it on the radio for them. I don't mind it. It's just music. Uh-huh. But then I'm going to listen to quality 70s, 80s rock. Yeah, it's like when I take my nieces to Orlando and I, I put on the, the Disney Spotify playlist. I can... Yeah. <sighs> Man, I can only take it for so long. <laughs> I can only take it for so long. I can't stand the new Disney stuff, but all the old school like uh, Disney songs, I, I can, I can rock with those a little bit, like because it's a throwback. So I'm just like, all right, yeah, yeah it's kind of a classic. It reminds me of my childhood. But then they start playing stuff like I start playing something by like the Great Mouse Detective, and they're just like, oh, what's that? I'm like, how dare you? <laughs> I'm more of the '90s. Like, you guys should have seen all this. That's a movie from the seventies. Yeah, yeah, especially with Disney Plus, you would think you you'd been able to see all that stuff by now. But uh, but yeah, but after about an hour and fifteen, I'm just like, okay, we need to get there because I can't take some of this anymore. But uh, congratulations. Two hour drives aren't bad for me. It's uh, it's like the five hour long drive. So yeah. if it's a five hour long drive. I always tell my wife like, hey, we're doing this in the middle of the night. I'm not doing this during the day. Cause I always feel like I'm missing out on the day, but if mm-hmm. I do it at night, I can sleep in a little bit, wake up yeah. and have a fresh go to do. No, I totally get that. But uh, congratulations on the victory. Look forward to seeing when you get back inside the octagon. Of course, uh, let me know they can find you on social media. Anything else you want to mention, man? Yeah. Um, I just want to thank all my family and friends, all the fans that uh, support me. And, um, to all the fans that are, you know, downplaying a uh, blood diamond. Hey, he, he's a really good dude. You know, I had to tell a lot of my family as well. They were uh, not here, but on social media, I saw a couple of them were trying to talk smack, and I just told them, I was like, dude, I hung out with Blood Diamond right after the fight. I hung out with Izzy and Volk after the fight. We all got to talk and sh- uh, shoot it up a little bit, and they're really cool people. So, hey, shout out to them for still taking the fight. You know, it probably wasn't easy knowing that the opponent missed weight, but, hey, Blood Diamond went out there. He's a warrior in my eyes, and uh, we hit it up. Great guy. So, 
for social media, it's just at Galaxy Cozy. If people want to follow me just on Instagram, please don't follow me on Facebook. I won't accept you back. <laughs> I'm actually going through Facebook, just deleting people because somehow I don't know why, but like, They'll be like, oh, you just followed so-and-so. And I'm like, I've never followed this person in my life because I don't follow people. So I'll go and I'll like delete it. I'm just like, I don't know who that is. <laughs> but yeah, no, I definitely want to thank my sponsors. Um, I got to thank Luis Delindo. He's a uh, founder of Get Right alongside uh, Kai Perez. So Luis, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be able to do a lot of the stuff I do. Thank you for helping uh, financially. And I definitely want to help... Uh, you know, give back to the youth community and humble and build more regions, just like we talked about. So thank you for having the opportunity for me. Uh, Graybush, they're the band that I walked out to. They wrote Reven's Revenge special for me, and I got to name that song. So that metal song that everyone heard with no lyrics, we're hoping to release it here sooner than later. That way people can finally get it. I had a lot of people asking about it, so we'll, we'll see. And then, um, yeah, no, if there's any, uh, first and foremost, I definitely want to give a humble-based uh, area uh, people a chance if they do want to sponsor you're more than welcome to contact me directly or you can contact my uh, management at Everidian Sports Jason or Jacob will gain contact with you guys and I definitely got to thank my corners Lewis, Brendan, Ezra without you guys this week would not have been possible thank you for being in my corner and then shout out to both Lost Boys and Team Alpha and that was my conversation with Orion Koski. I appreciate him taking some time out of his day to talk to me about uh, his win there against Blood Diamond. Also, some interesting stuff there talking about how he uh, is going to use the UFC PI, get a body density test, and basically see what is going on there and maybe look at some other ways of how to make sure that he can make uh, 170 pounds in a healthy way up next you're going to hear my conversation with brand moreno's bjj coach and that is hector vasquez as i had a chance to uh, catch up with hector get to know hector first time i've ever had a chance to uh, get to talk to him talk to him about uh, you know how he got started in jiu-jitsu tell us a great story of how he started working with brand moreno and also talks about some of the other fighters that he currently works with Joining me now here on the MMA Report is the BJJ coach for Bram Reno, along with a ton of other mixed martial arts fighter. A man that I was reading your bio, and you go by Mighty Mouse, Hector Vasquez. First off, how, how does the Mighty Mouse nickname come about? So I'm about five foot five, <laughs> pushing five six, right? So I think that's where it came from. Um, I've always fought in the smallest category, 125, uh, Roosterweight division at IBJJF. So it just like just stuck to me. Everybody was just calling Mighty Mouse, Cobrina, and everybody else. So it's, I just it just stuck to me, you know. <laughs> you, you know, I was uh, I was over on your website and I'm reading the bio about you and talking about you know how this martial arts and BJJ jiu-jitsu journey starts for you, and it goes back to 2010. And it, it, it says, ever since he got invited by a fighter friend to try it, after getting defeated by a female purple belt, Hector was hooked. Yes. So, so, like, so, what, what, what about jujitsu hooked you? Man, so going back to that, uh, the guy that invited me was Jamie Hara. If you guys are familiar with it, Kukui back at uh, Carnage MMA back then in Sacramento. Um, he kept bugging me and I'm like, oh man, I don't want to roll with a bunch of sweaty men. And, you know, and he's like, no, let's just go. So man, I got in there. It was like Cassio Rinex, uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And I went in and I tried it and man, I was getting beat up and I'm like, there's no way, you know? 
And it, you know, just being a, a, a civil engineer for, you know, for a long time, it was just intriguing to like, to see like somebody that size that was smaller than me, just do that to me. And I was like, I gave him my credit card and I was like, sign me up. There's, <laughs> I need six months. I got to beat her up. You know what I mean? So after that, man, it just got addicting. And, um, I, I decided that, Hey, this was for me. And two years later, you win an American national championship, a Pan Am championship, a world championship. You've got all, all every, you've done so much in the sport, but you've trained, you've, you've made your way into the coaching side. Like, do you remember the moment when you decided that, okay, you know what? The, my calling is to be, a, to be a coach. Um, so I, I won the world titles and then I was teaching uh, kids classes at my professor's school at Cobrinha Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and headquarters in LA and uh, I was enjoying it. Like I could, I was making those connections with the, with all the, the students and coaching every weekend and getting that experience on the BJJ side. Um, I got to see Verdum uh, in, in our, in our gym all the time watching uh, the way Cobrinha was, was uh, coaching him. So I was, I was one of those guys that was like, okay, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to watch and learn. And I also had the opportunity to work with Cobrinha's son, Kennedy Maciel, which started a white belt and was my drilling partner for this whole time. Seeing Cyborg going in there, seeing other fighters. So I wasn't the guy that class was over and I see those guys and I just sit there and kind of learn. And Cobrinha gave me that opportunity to, to see how, how it was. And then I started cornering fighters and it just little by little. And I told my partner, uh, I own a windshield wiper company and also, mm -hmm. and I told him, listen, you know what? I can't do this anymore. I can't sit behind a desk anymore. I just want to go do what I love to do. Um, it's not about the money. I just want to be able to give back a little bit. And, um, I actually was thinking about opening a school in orange County, but I was coming out here, uh, with, uh, Sean Shelby's, uh, Helen Shelby's, um, wife, and um, they're like, hey, come out here and open a gym. One thing led to another. They FaceTimed me. They showed me a, a location. I was like, oh, it looks nice. They're like, I'll see you here Monday. And I was like, <laughs> so I came out here knowing nobody, nobody in Las Vegas. And they started helping me out. The first person, and I will I ever be, uh, forever be grateful, is Ali Abdelaziz. He gave me the opportunity to, he started bringing his fighters in like Dan Ige, uh, uh, Puna, um, Khabib train here. If you go back to the embedded for Conor McGregor, all the Dagestanians, uh, man, amazing and humble, most humblest people ever. Um, but Ali's actually the one that gave me the opportunity to, to work with some of these guys. Henry Cejudo, the Demetrius Johnson fight. Kayla Harrison came out here. I got to work with her a little bit before she started her career. Mm -hmm. Um, and just a bunch of other guys. So again, I'm always grateful for Ali Abdelaziz. Um, he, he gave, he opened a lot of doors for me and then it, it just went from there. Claudia Gadelia, Valentina, uh, you know, Pavel gave me the opportunity to work with the sisters and the rest was history. You know, it just started going and there's people coming in and, uh, again, I'm just grateful for that. It wasn't an, uh, uh, something that I was looking for. Um, because I saw the way that uh, Cobrinha would deal with fighters and it was just a, a little bit of a pain. Mm -hmm. You know, they took so much of attention. But my, my, my goal was to focus on up-and-coming talent from the uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu side of it and create my own world champions. And up to now, I think we've created over like 20 in the uh, lower, lower, lower belts. 
20 to 30 world champions. And again, that was, that was my goal. How did you and Brandon start working together? So, um, my good friend, Tony Diaz, he, after the first Figueredo fight, which was a draw, um, he told me, Hey, Brandon wants to come out and train with you. And I was like, Oh, okay. You know, I didn't, I didn't really put a lot of emphasis in it. Um, and then my wife, she was in the front desk and I was teaching class. She goes, Hey, some kid named Brandon's at the front desk. And I'm like, Brandon Moreno, Damn, Brandon, I walk out and you get this nice little humble kids like, Hey, prof, can you help me out? I'm like, man, let's go. You know, I had watched the first fight and I thought that, you know, there was a couple of little um, adjustments we can make. And for eight months, he was in here eight months, not lying to every day. And I do a lot of drilling, a lot of specific training towards the fight. I, I mean, he already has the jujitsu, but it was just fixing those little details that he, I mean, he has already tremendous jujitsu, but just adding to it. I think a lot of coaches want to change their, their fighters already what they do, but it's better just to add to what they already have and see what works best for them. And man, we, we pulled it off. I was so happy for him, you know, and uh, being from Tijuana, Mexico, and me being uh, a Hispanic, it just helps, you know, just makes me feel even better to see one of those kids, you know, be able to live their dreams and uh, conquer their goals. Amira, I was watching an interview that, that James Krause did over the past couple of days. And, you know, he talked mm-hmm. about, he was like, He's like when you know he was talking about Brand coming to his gym. He's like, look, you know, he goes, we didn't develop a world champion. A world champion walked into our doors, and, and we just kind of we improved on on who he was. And it's kind of made me think what you're saying there is. It, it seems like you and James kind of had that same mindset. Man, I, I tell you what, uh, I work with James for this camp. Man, this is the most humblest guy too. You know, open minded. Um, uh, to me, again, I'm one of those guys like. He's one of the best in the world, uh, you know, fighting and coaching. He has an amazing group at Glory MMA, a bunch of talented guys out there. Um, And, man, I just learned as well. You know, I try to be a white belt mindset, go out there and learn from him. And, man, we clicked together. Capetillo, uh, you know, Capetillo Boxing is another, another guy. Hoya from Puerto Vallarta, the Muay Thai coach, he did an amazing job too. So I think we all clicked together and... You know, also myself, like I didn't create Brandon from, from the beginning. Raul and those guys at Entrum Jim did an amazing job. You know what I mean? And I was just had the great, you know, the opportunity to work with them and just keep adding to the toolbox. I tell people like, you know, you get a fighter like that and can't, you know what I mean? You just add more to what he does, but he's, uh, he's a student of the game and he, he, he enjoys what he's doing. So when you're in the corner and the fight's just played out on the feet, there's not really any BJJ going on. I mean, are you just kind of just being quiet there? Or in the back of your mind, you're thinking about, okay, we could get a takedown here, and, and this is what maybe I'm going to try to to shout out to Brandon? Yeah, I think, um, honestly, this is probably one of the best corners I've, uh, I've worked with, with James, because we were all coordination when uh, each person was going to talk. and But we're just not sitting there. We're also seeing tendencies. We're for, looking at uh, he's opening his elbow on the right-hand side. Like, we have specific things we're looking at to pass on the information to James and Capetillo in the stand-up. Um, if Brandon you know, goes back to his stance, you know, fixing those. So little things that we see. My Obviously, me and, and James, we collaborate when it hits the wall, um, the cage, I'm, I'm sorry. And uh, from there on, once it hits the ground, then everybody kind of, like, sits back, and then I start doing my thing. So... Um, it's still, I'm still working while they're on their feet. I'm just working more on the clock, 
um, get passing on information, the tendencies that we see. In terms of your history in BJJ, who would be on your Mount Rushmore of, of jiu-jitsu practitioners? You know what? Um, honestly, obviously the first world title, but the Pan Ams titles and stuff like that. But the biggest thing for me is being able to see my students do what I was able to do uh-huh. and just see them grow. Like I have one of my students, uh, Frank Suspet, uh, has been with me since he was 13 years old and uh, became three-time world champion through the ranks. Um, he just won American Nationals um, as a black belt. Now, as a black belt, winning titles. And to see him do what he's doing, teaching classes, doing the same process that, that I was taught by Cobrinha, it just makes me happier. And, I, you know, just like James said, like it gets to the point where you know what it takes to compete, mm-hmm. but sometimes you got to know when it's time to go and just stop being selfish and allow your students to, to do their thing. And you have to choose. You have to choose whether you're going to be a, a competitor or you're going to just be a, a, you know, a great coach and an instructor. Does that itch go away though? It does not. It does not. You get the itch. I still train every day. I mean, I get beat up by all my, my youngsters. And uh, a lot of people say, professor, why do you train? Why don't you just listen? I always tell these people this. I'm one of those guys where if I'm not getting beat up by my students, I didn't do my job, right? Oh, yeah. I feel like I didn't do my job because they're not getting better. If there's a 45-year-old guy still hanging with you and they're not evolving, there's something wrong. I feel like I need to. there's a point where I need to hand it off, and I'm fine with that. I don't mind getting beat up. It's, it's more for me. I get to get a good sweat, a little workout. And I also see my students, how they're moving. I can feel it. And it's just great to see that part. Is that where kind of like the competitive fire can come at? Because anytime, you know, whether it's a, you know, a, a Tuesday afternoon, Wednesday afternoon, Thursday afternoon, you know, you're, you're working with, you know, one of your students, like it's that competitive issue of going, okay, I know I'm getting their A plus right now. Like yeah. they're, they're bringing everything to me. Yeah. They, they, at, one, at some point your student wants to beat you. Yeah. just <laughs> Like they want to see like what it feels like, you know, and they felt it before. Like Frank's felt it for six years. He got beat up by us, you know, all the higher belts and all the world champions in the room that he's dealt with. He's felt it. So he knows that sooner or later, you know, he was going to get there. And now him competing at the highest level has just built his confidence to know, Hey, if I can hang with some of the best in the world in the gym, there's no way this guy's better than, and um, to me, like I said, I'm just, uh, I'm grateful for that. I'm honored to to see everyone grow, just like Brandon and all his other guys, like that I get to work with uh, in his group. I, I know you you've got some fighters who are coming up here. You got a fighter on Friday's PFL show. You also got a, uh, Edgar who's fighting on, on the on the Dana West Contender Series coming up. So uh, no rest for you, huh? Yeah, no rest, <laughs> no rest. Um, you know what? I, I'm just here to help these guys achieve their goals. You know. Yeah. Um, my goal, I know a lot of people like big MMA schools. They've got 30, 40 guys. I try to keep my circle small, um, and I don't work with a lot of people. And plus, I'm a little far from, from – I'm on the other side of Las Vegas, like on the Summerlin side. So it's a little drive for a lot of the guys that live by the UFCPI. Um, but they do the drive. Uh, Claudia Gadelia made the drive. She was first like, oh, Professor, you're 30 minutes. And I said, oh, just come try it. you know. And she came, tried it, and she's like, it's worth the drive. And, you know, I feel like 
when you have 40 fighters, you can't give 100% of the attention to your students. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they can do it. I, I just can't, but I feel it's not fair for me and it's not fair for them uh, if I can't give them 120% of my attention. So when there's a camp, I usually try to just focus on on certain guys. When it's Brandon, obviously I close everybody off and I just focus on one guy, but I think that's just better for me. Yeah. Um, but no, I have uh, Brian Zucher fighting PFL, Madison Square Gardens uh, on Friday night. I'm excited for the kid. This kid's something else. You gotta keep your guys' on, uh, eyes on him. Um, he's he's the future. Um, I've got uh, Chaydez Marcelo, uh, Marcelo uh, Masio Pitbull um, Rojo. That's uh, you know he's fighting. He's also training at Glory MMA. A lot of those guys made the transition to Glory MMA. Masio Fullen, amazing uh, guy as well. He's fighting for Fury. Um, then we have the Rosa brothers, those kids right there, they're up and coming 17 I, years old. He's, he's scary. I know. Yeah. I talked to Raul a couple weeks ago. Yeah. He's, uh, he's like the Cosmat Shamaya, a smaller version. He's, he's scary. Um, but yeah, I mean, just a small little group and a couple of little amateur fighters, but like I said, I try to keep my circle small so I can give them a little bit more attention. So, so let's say some uh, a fight fans coming out to Vegas, you know, and and they want to get uh, some good local food. What would your recommendation for them be? Local food in, in Las Vegas, because we all we all know the the spots in the Strip. Like right, you, so know, you, you gotta you, you know, like I say, you go to Vegas, you gotta find yourself off the Strip to find some of those good places to go to. Yeah, well, you know what? A lot of people don't realize, but there's a lot of good spots outside of the Strip to go eat. If you want the authentic, like real Mexican food. I would tell you Tacos El Gordo. Okay. And then there's another one, uh, Doña Maria's Tamales. Best. You got they got pozole. They got they got everything you need. Um, those are the spots that I would I would recommend. It, it is uh, Mexican kind of the, if you're if you're gonna sit there and uh, you know have a cheap meal, you know I mean you know we're all we're all trying to do what we can to stay in, in somewhat shape. It, is Mexican food kind of your go to? Like hey, if it's you Sunday know, afternoon, I also like stacks and yolks. I don't know if you have ever been there. Stacks and yolks. No. Man, they it's it's amazing there. They got great breakfast. Uh, man, it, it, that's a good place. But um, yeah, I, honestly, I don't really eat my, out much. I'm usually a homebody. I just come, do, you know, train, try to spend time with my wife. You know what I mean? Like, I'm always on the road, and you know, I try to make sure that I have enough time for her. Wednesdays, I don't usually teach. Those are wife days. You know, happy wife, happy life. And, <laughs> Damn um, right. <laughs> Anytime I fly, you know, I, I just came back from London when uh, Casula fought Batty the Batty. And I couldn't come back home empty handed because I didn't take her with me, right? Yeah. She's like, London, I want to go. And I'm like, all right, I got to bring her something back. But it cost me a pretty penny. But it is what it is. <laughs> you know, she, she puts up a lot of st- uh, a lot of the stuff that, I, that I'm gone. And she holds it down here. And I'm very grateful to have her. That's awesome. That's awesome stuff there. Hector, man, I appreciate time. If uh, maybe someone's watched this and they, they want to come train with you in Vegas, how, how would they get a hold of uh, your gym? Um, so you can, you can contact me directly. Um, Hector Vasquez BJJ is my Instagram, or you can go on the website, go bring your Brazilian Jiu Jitsu Las Vegas.com. And uh, man, they're always welcome. You know, just hit me up. We're always here to help it, whoever we can. And again, you know, just to keep, keep giving the, uh, the next generation the opportunity to live their dreams as well. 
And that was my conversation with Hector Vasquez. Appreciate him taking some time out of his uh, busy day to talk to me about uh, his martial arts journey and how he got a great story about how he got started uh, in jujitsu. And now has, he is a full-time coach. And when you, when you listen to him and, and you listen to interviews that James Krause does, you can kind of tell they, they have a very similar mindset in terms of how they coach their fighters. So appreciate Hector coming on the podcast. Now we got one more interview left here in this episode, and that is going to be with Gary. Garrett Wells, who is going to be the main event of Saturday Shamrock FC Summer Bash event. Had a chance to uh, get to know Garrett Wells and talk to him about his matchup coming up here on Saturday at Shamrock FC Summer Bash. Joining me now here on the MMA Report is one of the men's to be part of the main event, Shamrock FC Summer Bash, coming up here August the 13th. Garrett uh, Wells, appreciate the time, man. Uh, we're talking here on, on a Friday. Uh, what, what's a typical Friday like for you, man? Uh, well, typically I'll, uh, usually work out in the mornings and then I'll, uh, go to work. And then, uh, after work, I head straight up, uh, got about a 40 minute drive to my jujitsu class. And that's pretty much a Friday for me. Obviously you're, you're very young in your career here. I mean, like how do you balance kind of that, that training life, work life, family life, social life, or, or do you, have you not found that balance? Uh, well, I mean, luckily for me, I mean, I don't know if you call it lucky or not, but I'm single. I got no kids. So typically I'm just working out and I go to work and work out some more. I mean, I, I train all the time. I love it. Do you, uh, do you allow yourself to kind of take a, a day off to let your body recover? Every once in a while, uh, you know, sometimes on Sundays, sometimes on Saturdays, you know, just, uh, you know, I, I really just listen to my body, and whenever I feel like I'm tired, I, I just don't do anything. And, and, of course, you're coming off a win there back back in May. You've won four in a row. Uh, you, you've been doing this for a little bit. Amity debut back in, in 2015, pro debut in 2017. So so how does, yeah. uh, how does this martial arts journey start for you? Uh, well, um when I was in high school, I, uh, I worked at a, a nursing home uh, doing maintenance with a, a buddy, and he kind of was trying to talk me into going and checking out an MMA gym. And I always wanted to learn how to defend myself and I never planned on fighting. I just, uh, I went up there and tried it out and one thing led to another and I just sort of fell in love and, um, fell in love with the jujitsu aspect of it. And then, um, I mean, you train for so long, I think I was about six months in and then, uh, I ended up taking my first amateur fight on a, I don't know, six hours notice. So, I just kind of fell in love with it. Okay. How's that? How, how, how does that, that happen? Uh, well, the people I were, was training with, uh, they hosted their own shows and, uh, we would set up cage. We would set up the cage and work security in, in exchange for, our, um, you know, for our membership. And, uh, I had one guy drop out and he called me that day and was like, Hey, I had a guy drop. He's like, you want to fill in? And I said, yep, I sure do. So why not? What do you remember the most about that fight? Nothing. Absolutely <laughs> nothing. I uh, I had to watch the video on it because I just, I ghosted and I just, I don't really remember anything. I remember I was tired, didn't have any cardio. I didn't know what that was at the time. <laughs> Is that normal for you of like after a fight's over? Like I remember, I forget the, um, Oh, it was Matt Snell a couple weeks ago. And they're interviewing a post-fight interview, and he's like, yep, don't remember that, man. Don't remember that. I'll have to go back and watch the tape. Like, do you have a similar situation of, like, it takes some time yeah, to kind of remember what happened? Uh, it's 
it's real weird because you remember certain points in the fight and you remember uh, like um like milestones i guess you when you land a strike or when you get hit but you don't i don't really recall like the order it happens and when i go and rewatch fights i'm like man i thought that happened a lot later in the fight and it turned out it happened in like the first 20 seconds or so so it's it's pretty weird and mentioning about the, this run you've been on, uh, unable to get a victory in your first two pro fights. As you were heading into that third fight, was there was there some type of of change that you made that um, you know helped propel you for this run that you've been on? Uh, yeah, I had ended up changing uh, changing camps and training uh, just different style. I did a lot more cage wrestling during that one and a lot more physical training. Um, but for my my second loss as a pro i remember tearing my meniscus like a week before that fight and going in injured and i was kind of already on the fence like oh i don't know if this is going to go well but every fight since then i've been 100 percent, and i felt great going into these fights and i've had a complete different i don't know headspace i guess about it and mention about that matchup you had there back in may you get the submission win there in the first round against chris patty first fight since uh 2019 did you did you feel any uh any any rust at all or is it just kind of like another day at the office just another day at the office um you know i've always considered myself a slow starter so uh usually um in that first the first round i always like to try to feel out my opponents and you know kind of <laughs> I think he ended up catching a kick and I, I fell down and that's how it ended up getting on the ground. But I had every intention on uh, standing up throughout that entire fight. Cause everybody pegs me as a jujitsu guy. And uh, you know, I'd like, I'd really like to showcase some of my stand up skills, but every fight usually ends up on the ground for me. Do you look at though as a, a good thing though, because then there, there is this unknown about what you can do on the feet. Yeah, uh, totally. Um, you know, like I said, everybody pegs me as a jujitsu guy, but, uh, you know, I've, I've also had, uh, a lot of experience in kickboxing and Taekwondo. Uh, so I, I mean, the standups there is just hasn't had a chance to be showcased yet. Does it bother you that people would just pay you as a jujitsu guy? No, not at all. Cause like whenever, I, whenever I start uh, throwing these hands at people and they start connecting and that's, it's going to be a good feeling. You mentioned about you know being a slow starter, but your last three wins are coming in the first round. Yeah, uh, yeah, a lot of these, a lot of my wins come in the first round. Like I said, they always end up on the ground. Um, I think the fight before that, the one in 2019, um, the guy was supposed to stand up as well, but you know I threw a couple of leg kicks and he didn't like that too much, and so he went to go take me down, and you know it's pretty much over from there. But uh, I don't think uh, Chris Petty, I don't think he really intended it on going to the ground. It's just uh, he caught that kick of mine and I went down to the ground and I was going to come up on a single anyways. But he went ahead and pressured down and uh, got on top and I ended up getting the armbar finished. So that was pretty nice. With being known for your jujitsu, is there like a bucket list submission hold that you want to be able to pull off inside the MMA arena at some point? Uh you know, I've always been a I've always been a leg guy, but I know that's uh it's a pretty dangerous game in MMA because when you're holding someone's legs, I mean, you're pretty exposed to get getting punched in the face quite a bit. So, but um and I do have a knee bar finish, which I I I do like, but as far as a bucket list, no, not really. As, as soon as we hit the ground, usually I I take the first thing that 
first opportunity I have to get a submission usually. I mean, the other side of that leg lock, if you're, if you're the guy going, you know, attempting it, you know, your opponent could make a business decision at some point and say, you know what? I'm not going to try to get my leg rip apart here. I'm out of here. Yeah, but you get those hard-headed people that don't really care about <laughs> what happens after the fight. They just want that win. Do you think Rudy Morales is one of those type of guys? I'm not too sure. Um, I know he – I don't know how much he has to offer on the ground. Uh, every fight that I've watched of his is all stand-up, and, you know, um, he's uh, – I, I would say he's known a lot for his cardio and a lot of his flashy techniques and – Honestly, I have no idea. And I, he, I know he hasn't fought in a while. And um, so I'm, I'm actually really excited to see what happens here. When you're facing someone that, that hasn't competed in a while, like what's kind of the mindset at the start of the fight? Um, you know, like I said, I'm a, I'm a pretty slow starter. So I always like to feel someone out first. Uh, I don't know if he, I, I don't think he is that way. I think he's going to try to bring the fight quick to me or at me as quick as possible, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I would imagine that there is a little bit of cage rust for him and he may start off pretty slow, but, but I, I feel like I'm going to be able to pressure him and, uh, you know, get him back up against the cage and get the secure takedown pretty easily. If, uh, things aren't going my way right up front. Is there part of you that you look at this fight as potentially stylistically that type of fight where you could showcase what you can do on the feet? Yes, I do. I do. I, I feel like he, he's not going to want to go to the ground at all, especially after my last four fights. So I feel like he's going to try to keep it standing up as long as possible. Do you kind of feel like that's like an advantage for you heading into a fight because the opponent is so it's like in the back of their mind, they're just thinking about like, okay, I know what he, what Garrett can do on, on the mat that it, it, it'll kind of leave some openings for you. Yeah, uh, definitely. Definitely does. And, um, you know, I'm pretty tall for being a 155 or, you know, coming in at six one. Um, most of my guys I fight are usually around like five ten or five eleven. So I usually have pretty good reach advantage on people and they don't, I don't think they take that in consideration. So let's say, uh, you know, you walk into the gym tonight and they let you control the music. What's going on the speakers? Uh, usually uh, 90s hip-hop. is if, okay. uh, if I have a... I just put it on uh, 90s hip-hop and I just let them play. I, I like a, a lot of beat-orientated music, so... You mentioned about the fact of, you know, you got a busy schedule with everything you got going on, but when you do have, you know, some time, just kind of sit back and chill. What do you like to do to get your mind off the fight game? Uh I, I play a lot of uh, video games with my friends, uh, okay. ones that, from high school that I don't get to see all the time. So if I can, you know, hop on discord and talk to them and, you know, kind of relax a little bit, I like to do that. All right. So, so say it's a Friday night and you want to style on your buddies in a video game. What, what video game are you choosing? Uh, so I've been uh, playing a lot of uh, escape from Tarkov, which is a pretty, pretty grindy game. And that's a first person shooter and stuff like that. Uh, I also like to play uh, Rocket League, which is like a car soccer game if I, I really want to relax. Mm -hmm. So th those are my two two games of choice right now. That's awesome. That's awesome. Garrett, man, I, I really appreciate you coming on. Of course, look forward to seeing this main this fight here in the main event of Shamrock FC yeah. Summer Bash, August the 13th. Of course, uh, let her know they can find you on social media. Anything else you want to mention, man? Uh, no, um, I mean... Uh, just want to shout out to my uh, jiu-jitsu gym, uh, Cavallo BJJ up in Columbia, and uh, 
uh, T3 Fitness here in Jefferson City, uh, where I do a lot of my uh, stand-up striking. And that was my conversation with Garrett Wells. I appreciate him coming on the podcast to get to know him. And of course, he'll be at the main event of Saturday Shamrock FC Summer Bash. And of course, we have got a ton of mixed martial arts action coming up this weekend. Of course, you got the Bellator event on Friday, Tuesday. You got Contender Series. And on Saturday, jam-packed, we got the PFL event in the afternoon as they are over overseas in Wales. Also, we got the UFC Fight Night card. Of course, that uh, PFL card is going to be featured by the welterweight semifinals. Also, on that card, we have got the heavyweight semifinals as well. So uh, PFL, I'd say I, I, I did enjoy watching their broadcast on, on Friday night. And, you know, I, I love the fact that every fight on that car, there was some meaning to it. You know, and Peter Murray talked about this last week where he's, he mentioned about, you know, uh, you know, these fighters on the prelims, it's about getting into a 2023, uh, you know, season for, for the PFL. So really uh, love what PFL is doing there. And a uh, great night of fights that, that they had over there. Uh, Showtime Pass doesn't get the job done. And uh, kudos to uh, Rob Wilkinson, man. That, that, if you did not see the Wilkinson-Monte uh, fight, go back and go on ESPN Plus and watch that thing, man. It was absolutely amazing over there to watch that matchup. But, of course, uh, on Wednesday's episode of the podcast, Daniel and I will take a look back at everything that happened this weekend in MMA from the PFL card on Friday to last night's UFC card, where it is kind of Jamal Hill put in this uh, light heavyweight division maybe how close is he to potentially uh, getting himself right there in line for a title shot then of course we'll look ahead to all of this week's mixed martial arts action of course we'll talk about that pfl fit we'll talk about that bellator and ufc fight car so appreciate you taking time out of your day download and listen to this episode of the podcast of course great way to share your support rating review does help it out and share the podcast on social media would appreciate that as well so that's going to do it for this edition of the mma report podcast and the next episode will come out on wednesday on your favorite podcasting platform and radioinfluence.com 